What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 9 to 16, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 19th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood. I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is Ali Jafarian. Ali is truly a special human being. I have had a few conversations with Ali and every one of them are memorable because the conversation was vibrant and felt so real. When speaking to Ali, he is so engaged in the conversation that it makes you feel alive. In this conversation, we will dig into the work that he continues to do to show up in this manner for himself and his family. Enjoy meeting my friend, Ali. All right, Ali Jafarian, welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes. It's good to see your face. How are you feeling today? Fantastic. I am honored to be here, brother. So thank you for inviting me and uh, excited to see where this goes. Yeah, man, there's already a couple questions on my mind that I'm like, okay, I'm looking forward to to discuss these with you, um, but but we'll just kind of like ease into it a little bit. So a couple quick questions just to help the listeners understand who I'm talking to here. Uh, tell me, how old do you find yourself today? Hmm. Wow, what a great question. How old do I find myself? I find myself in a middle age bracket of life in the sense, Ned, where I'm feeling maturity and wisdom I didn't have a decade ago. Mm. I'm also feeling uh, vulnerability and even some <laughs> physical constraints <laughs> I didn't feel a decade ago. Uh, in some ways, I'm slowing down. In some ways, I'm speeding up. A lot more slowing down, though, now as I say that out loud with you, is that I've learned to really slow things down. So, like, without giving an age, you know, my numerical age is 37, but I do feel very, like, middle age in that there's just pieces of me that have slowed down and matured, and I'm not as anxious or fast. I'm also more mm. fragile. That's, I think that's what I was trying to say. I'm more fragile now. Like, I can feel the physical aspects starting to break faster. Cool question. Uh, that's a really, well, well, it leads to, to what I had expected in our conversation, uh, which is your, your answer is deeply thought out, but spoken in a way that you're not saying it to sound smart or sound intellectual or sound emotionally in tune. You just are. So I'm looking forward to getting, getting into that. Um, how many years you've been married? Eight. And how many kiddos do you guys got? Two. Everest is six. Sepia is four. And I want and then, more, but it's okay, not on the okay. cards. Yeah, not on the cards. Not on the cards. Okay. <laughs> okay, so two kids, married eight years, um, and that's where we're going to stick right there. And then where do you? Where does your family live right now? We live in Denver, Colorado. We have for 11 years. 
my wife and I met and grew up in St. Louis. So that was previous home Midwest. And as you know, we've spent the last couple of years now cycling on a potential next home, which is looking like North Carolina. We just don't know exactly when. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. And then I love and hate this question, but uh, I ask it because it helps fathers know that fatherhood's a level playing field. So I hate the question, hey, what do you do for a living? Because I think most of the times we ask the question uh, from an ego state of like, do I feel good about myself um, or can I relate to you uh, based on what you do? Um, but the reason I ask it, again, is because it doesn't matter if I am a manager at Target or if I am the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Fatherhood leads to the same highs and lows and struggles and understanding of who you are. So with that being said, what is it that you do for a living? Very well said, Ned. So traditionally, I've, I've been a technologist for for decade plus, almost two decades now. So have built a really healthy living Um creating and running small software businesses. Uh, we focus exclusively on, on building like membership and community platforms for our customers. But a big but is that the last few years, I've been just re-energized in, in new ways by finding this like inner creator that I sort of lost when I got into the game of business. And now I'm like just flexing it by, I started a podcast last year, which gives me so much energy. I've been writing and blogging a lot more. I'm just thinking about ways to, to do things that I truly want to do without the business agenda. And that's been interesting, Ned, because it's like, I have to hold space for, I've got this, this business. It was several businesses. Now it's really one, 1.5, let's say. And I have a responsibility for that. And then there's also this other side of me that's getting, get, getting more and more attention and momentum where it's like, I just want to create things. That's why I got so excited when I saw the book you were bringing to life. And mm. it's like that, it's just, it's such a beautiful gift that you're giving to the world in the act of creation. Yeah, man. Thank you. And thank you for your support of it. Um, yeah. I really connect with you on the creating. And then you made a comment about it being disconnected from business which is hard for me and maybe just, you know, answer that question for me is, you know, to create something, create a gift to give away. I still feel like I haven't fully untied myself from the outcome of what I want, right? Like if Mm. I give you a present, I shouldn't really care about how you open it other than I want to know you well enough that when you open it, you're excited. Mm -hmm. But when you create something for a mass scale, like a children's book or your podcast or a blog, you're giving a gift of yourself in a sense. And it's really hard to understand how to gauge. uh, Was it worth it? Did it have the impact, right? Because then you almost start leaning into your entrepreneurial or business minded measurements if you will. So, so what are your thoughts on that? hundred percent. Yep. It is extremely difficult to remove thoughts of potential outcomes, potential ideals, especially if it is directly tied into business. I think how I would answer that is something I just experienced at an event a couple of weeks ago is that a gal was talking about wanting to be an author mm-hmm. and it's like, great. A lot of us, including myself, have that aspiration as well. Like, I'd love to, to, uh, create and publish a book. 
just like you. And then there's the next question came, um, well, what do you need to feel fulfilled? And the way this, you know, when we start talking about outcomes, the way this particular gal, she, she got kind of phased by that question. And then someone kind of gave her an, an A or B option, say, do you need to be a best-selling author or do you need to see that one copy of that book published? And she, after thinking about that, said one copy. And that gave me some cool insight to, to think like, am I doing this for me? The one copy, like truly for me, right? Or is this attached to some outcomes, which is totally fine, but wanting to be a best-selling author, or even sell 2000 copies or even sell copies to be able to speak, that's an outcome. But having a book published, even if it's one and it can sit on my shelf, that's really about me. So I thought that was a cool way that she said, she gave a really clear definition on ways we might detach from that because it is so, so such a slippery thing that we get caught up in and we're like, and then we have to step back and like, why am I even doing this? Right. Which is, I think, a great question to be asking ourselves about most things that we do. Mm -hmm. Why am I even doing this? What is, what is it that uh, is, is leading me to X, Y, or Z? Ollie, when you think about fatherhood, you got two kids, been married eight years. Lots happened in the last 10 years for you when it comes to relationships, right? Marriage, kids, fatherhood, et cetera. What's something you've learned about yourself through being a father the past uh, few years? Hmm. Tons of things. The one thing I've learned is that living to serve others is definitely harder than living for myself. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And that's where the word guilt has just come in in so many different ways, Ned. You know, guilt that I'm not spending enough time or guilt that I missed something or guilt that I should have. I'm, the word should, it, it, I, I'm trying to remove that from my vocabulary. I don't like that word, yeah. but it yeah. still rings. Oh, dang, should have done that. So there's definitely that, like, that awareness, that understanding that my children, do require energy that I want to give them. And it, it previous early on in child in fatherhood, I didn't know that. It just felt like, oh wow, things are changing and all this stuff. Whereas now it's a part of my life. They they they, they command a huge chunk that I want to truly give and, and serve them. The other big thing, which came a bit later, this came probably a couple of years ago when I was pretty deep into some philosophy, is that I truly think today that I learn more from them than they learn from me. And if you would have asked me that in year two or three of parenting, it would have been flipped. I'd be like, nope, it's my job to lead and teach. I would have said it's my job to teach them. Whereas now I'm like, (laughs) I learn so many things from them on a daily basis. And I'm a lot more, I'm very open to what I'm learning from them, learning about myself, learning about the world, learning about nature, et cetera. And in many ways, I really try to challenge if it is even my my role to teach them something. Hmm. So that's something that rings very loudly for me internally is like, it's not my job to teach them. Like, it's I feel it's my job to protect them. It's my job to see them. And then among other things, it's my job to support them staying curious so that they can flourish and become who they need to be. Okay, so this is this is exactly 
what I was thinking about in, in talking to you is this, um, man, this unattached from your ego, right? Like when you're asked a question, I've spent, you know, maybe five or six conversations with you, good conversations. And, and when speaking with you, you feel very open, but not like wooey hippie open, which is fine. Whatever to each his own. <laughs> Yeah. But like in tune with yourself, uh, open to learn, open to share an opinion or n- not advice, but an opinion of your own story. Mm-hmm. So there's two parts to this question, okay? Because I think this leads to what you just said about your own kids. One is how have you come to this position as a 37 year old man? Okay. Where, I mean, just now you said something about, you know, you were studying philosophy not too long yep. ago. And then, you know, be- behind you on your whiteboard, I can see the, um, you know, living above the line, below the line, which that's, mm-hmm. a, you know, the book, um, conscious leadership you yep. turned me on to killer. But now, so that's part one is how'd you find yourself here? And then in that same breath, maybe you could also share with, or maybe I'll make a comment is, a lot of times when you say you said it's not that you're supposed to teach your kids. And sometimes I think we may ego wise get so caught up in everything we need to prepare them for. But the thing you're teaching them the most is to be curious and not so tied to your the way you see the world that you miss growth. So that's something enormous that you're teaching them, but you're doing it through being that way yourself. Mm hmm. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking if I want to answer the second one first, because the, the first one's a longer answer. Let me give you an example of the second one. Mm-hmm. So my daughter, Sepia, who has a lot of similar traits to me, she's very curious. Um, she often has been asking me recently at four years old, dad, am I good at this? Dancing, drawing, mm-hmm. et cetera. And I pause very intentionally and I say, do you think you're good at this? And she's like, yeah, I'm like, it's all that matters. And it's a hard thing to say because the, the father, there's a part of me that wants to be like, you are great at this. And I see you and I love your, that you're exercising your talents, but I'm aware. And which I'll talk about in a second, that if I do that, there is a consequence not a bad, but they're just a consequence. There's an attachment that she'll have to daddy feeling like I'm good at something. And I don't want Mm -hmm. that. I want her to feel, feel the feelings. And then I want to support her. So it's not to say if she says, but do you want to draw with me? Do you want to help with me? Of course. But this whole, like, am I good? Am I bad? That's not for me. It's just, if Mm -hmm. you think it, that's all that matters. And I've really been trying to subscribe to that, Ned, with friction. So I'll, I'll be very open that it, it's not a simple thing. It's not like I've got it down pat. It's just like this, this practice, right? So going back into your first question, where, where did this come from? Where did this awareness, this perspective, just kind of this, uh, way of thinking is that there was a lot of introspection. I spent a lot of time reading books about awareness, um, different philosophies, different religions. And where I might be a little unique, and I don't mean this with with ego or narcissism, is that I can hold space for different religions. I was raised in a Christian household, and I was forced into that. Not with negative connotations, just I went to church and there was no decision. And then even before that, I was exposed to a Muslim um, 
Muslim religion for a brief period. So I saw these two things growing up. And then I came of age later in my teens and I kind of disconnected for a bit and didn't care at all. Became very uncurious. Whereas recently I've Mm. been very curious and I've been looking at them all and I've been able to hold space and be like, wow, you're all saying similar things. You're just fighting over the names and the labels as an example, right? Or you're getting very animated about these things when in reality, a lot of the stories are grounded in the same values, some of the same truths. They're just your truth is different than your truth, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's given me a lot of internal awareness to just be like, well, there's all these different ways to go about things. A lot of them are sliced and diced in, in similar ways. And if for whatever reason, I've just read in and learned, leaned into different things around parenting that relieve me of feeling like I have to have all the answers mm-hmm. and instead lend towards being like, just be a presence that is warm and trusting and can protect and guide and not be so much like, I'm going to show you exactly how to do everything. That's what a lot of the books, a lot of the podcasts, a lot of the things, the experiments I've done have all come back to is that the, the, my role, at least how I feel is not to be as much in charge and dictate things, but rather to just be there and be aware. And then like almost a powerful word is surrender, just surrender to what wants to happen. And it's not always easy. Sometimes there's examples where I, I do say, nope, I'm getting in here because dad said so. <laughs> like, but I try to minimize that. If that makes sense. Yeah. So knowing you and hearing you talk, it doesn't feel like there's this um, anything goes right. So so you are talking about, OK, let's on one level, there's, um, you know, say different religions with different I don't want to say different morals because what you're kind of saying is they all say a similar thing about love, curiosity, caring mm-hmm. for one another, living in community, yep. um, not being selfish. Okay. Let's just pick those things. Sure. So, you know, when we say your truth, my truth, which is, is one thing in our current society, it seems as though for you, there's still an underlying current of a truth of let's see unselfishness and community. So when you're leading or saying you're unattached, when you are leaning into being present, it feels like the presence is, I'm not going to tell you everything to do, but I am going to show you how to live with other humans, not just thinking of yourself. Does that feel right? Part of that certainly feels right. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing that I, I probably should have thrown in there or probably could have thrown in there is you mentioned conscious leadership. and if there's anything I've extracted from conscious leadership and the conscious leadership group that I I was fortunate to do some training under is that being very in tune with our emotions and the difference between conscious and subconscious behaviors, because early on in fatherhood, a lot of it was subconscious. A lot of it was just, you know, the emotions tied to things were, were rooted in, anger, fear. Whereas now, funny enough, Ned, like a lot of my emotions are rooted in sadness. Um, you know, one of the things that is, has become very clear to me is like what, as I've 
I'm trying to use my words carefully because it's easy to project and say when we, but I'm going to say when I have found more uh, deeper ways to experience my emotions and actually feel through them, there's this like teddy bear that can cry and can be vulnerable and show my children like what's really underneath the strong dad that they see most of the time. Right. And so Conscious leadership is a great tool that I go back to amongst other tools that reminds me to, to just pause a lot and say like, what's, what's happening here? What wants to happen? Am I making conscious decisions? Am I not? Back to your, something you said though, in, in that really good follow up question is that there is definitely a distinction that I make and I catch it with my family. I catch it with my good friends. In my truth versus what the world thinks is truths. And I've just come to a place where I like to like really use specific language and say, I think this, or for me, that's true because that's where I see a lot of conflict, whether we're talking about like a sporting event or something powerful like religion or politics, like people get really mixed up in truths and like whose truth they're even chasing. Right. So I think that's an important thing to tie back into fatherhood and exactly why I tell my daughter that as long as you think you're good at it, that's all that matters is that it's her truth. Like my truth on how she does art or dance and her truth are different, for example. Okay. Yeah. And I want to, I want to lean into that uh, question I have just to play this out as fathers to their kids. Mm-hmm. But before I do, we could clearly talk for hours, weeks, months about, you know, conscious leadership and and being aware. What's two resources, you know, if a dad's listening to this right now and they're like, man, I I think I make my decisions, you know, without really thinking all the time. What's two resources you'd say, hey, go down this path, check out this book or this podcast or this or that, that could help them start to think about or understand the difference between making decisions consciously or subconsciously? Fantastic question. So I'm actually going to do two books because Okay. Books force people to get into the subject material and I don't want to like reference a podcast that may not be relevant. So the first, this book, Awareness by Anthony DeMello, who's a late author. So he passed some time ago is amazing. The reason I love it and I always talk about it is not only did it change a lot of things for me, (laughs) but it's so easy to read. It's a fast read. And it's written as if he's sitting next to you having tea. Like he talks to you. It just flows so easy. You don't have to like struggle or think about the crazy vocabulary. So that book, I love this. And then the other one is written by the group that I mentioned. So the 15 commitments of conscious leadership, it's a little bit deeper, but it's broken out with these clear 15 commitments with these 15 chapters. It's been a big hit in our, in our front row dads community for these exact reasons is that after reading that book, I instantly had this different perspective on how I lead at home, how I lead in business, how I just lead. And I'm just grateful for this group. I'm still coached by one of their leaders and it's just like, it continues. It's one of those, they have timeless principles, Ned, that they don't go out of, style. Like they don't expire. It's like, Oh, I thought I knew on this like principle about candor yet. There's still so much work to do there. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So I'm going to put those book links in the show notes. I read the 15 commitments, um, 
that you're speaking of. And I remember I was reading it in the car. My wife was driving. My kids were in the car. And this, like, such an amazing point. Uh, it was something to the extent of, like, how, you know, family members can fight and be bitter and then they don't talk to each other for 30 years because of, you know, and it dug into it. And so I'm reading this out loud to my kids in the car going, this one piece could change so many legacies for families if people could just understand this, like how devastating. And all of us have it, right? We have these messy families where it's like, this person doesn't talk to this person and this person's not doing this anymore. It's like, oh my gosh, get over ourselves. Okay, we can talk forever. So I I do have more questions for you, but I just want to talk about this with you for a minute because it's it's an interesting dynamic of my stage of life versus yours. Mm -hmm. So I want to get your perspective from your um, view of the world. Okay, Mm -hmm. your daughter's four. She comes to you and says, Dad, am I good at dance or art? Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, my daughter is currently 14. Okay, 10 years later, she's... uh, He's going to be a freshman in high school, um, and she was really good at soccer, okay? And then this last year, she didn't perform the way she had in the past. She used to score a bunch of goals, and she was, like, naturally good. This year, she happened to get on a team where there's a lot of good people, and she, for her, she only scored two goals for the year. So we came to this point of, what do you want, Violet? What do you want? Okay, do you want to just ride on the coattails of you were naturally good and you felt like you were good, but now you're starting to feel like you're not good? Some of it's compared to others. Some of it's compared to your potential. So her and I have been playing soccer almost every day. We'll just go kick the ball, you know. Um, and so here's my question to you from this point. How as fathers do we help our children to I guess compete against themselves or be the best versions of themselves, right? It's like, you don't got to be as good as the neighbor kid, but are you doing your best? Um, because they're asking the question, looking for our affirmation of them, or are you good at this? Um, I won't say any more. You kind of get what I'm, what I'm saying here? Mm-hmm. Yep, I do. So it, just to make sure I'm, I'm focused in on this question, it's really about how do we support them? in becoming the best version of themselves? And is it through these activities? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Because if she comes to me and she says, Hey dad, do you think I'm good at soccer? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, but I don't think you're living to your potential. Mm. Right. So at what point as a dad, do you, are you honest? I guess for the lack of a better word, right? Because I do think she's good at soccer. But I don't think she's putting in the effort to be great at soccer if that's what she wants. I don't care if she wants to be good at soccer or not. But I think at a certain point, you know, because I was talking about this with a dad two days ago. He was talking about his own daughter and how she'll just be like, well, dad, I'm, I'm good enough, but then not practice and then not make the team. So at what level as a father do you say, hey, you know, it's cute at four years old to think you're good at something. But if you want to do this for a career or a life or pursue this with some excellence, I, I, you kids do need to be challenged in a way uh, that I think sometimes they're not challenged now because we don't want to hurt their feelings. So I just mm. want to see if you had any thoughts around that. Yes. Okay. So this is dynamic. Um, part of this for me is about definitely asking and understanding if it's something that brings them joy. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's like tier one. Like, does this bring you joy? 
Because if it doesn't and you're doing it, then who? We have a whole other, a whole other like navigation system to embrace. Whereas, and the, one of the things I've learned from one of our brothers and one of my FRD bandmates, Matt Sprang, is like this three question framework, which has been really powerful with younger children in, you know, after doing an activity like a sport like soccer, it's like, did you have fun? Did you learn something new? And do you want to go back again? And like, if you're getting, mm. if you're getting two or three yeses, then it's a no brainer. But like, if there's no, if there's a no to those, then, you know, this is all about someone else and not the child. You know, usually it's about the parent uh, now, but back to this yeah. dynamic on, situation. Yeah. I just, I, I don't want people to miss that. You made the comment super fast. Mm-hmm. Usually it's about the parent. Yeah, right. So dads, dads, when you are challenging your kid, whether it's soccer, football, baseball, some other sport, whatever, school even, when you're challenging them, is it because you want them to live to their highest and best? Or is it because you're feeling about who you are as a dad or a parent having some sort of impact? So keep going, dude. But that's, Well, that's 100%. Because what I've observed, Ned, in uh, being involved in coaching my son's six-year-old basketball team is that <laughs> the majority of Fun. it was about the parents. It wasn't even about the kids. Half the kids right. didn't even want to play. And it's, it's not about, it's not always about words. It's about body language. Like when you see a kid that's like picking his nose or like doing a, a Ninja Turtles kick to his other buddy, like he's not playing basketball. He's in a whole, he or she, they're in a whole different world and they very likely didn't choose to be there that day. So there's definitely this projection game that happens with parents. And it's it's a hard to detect because as parents, we get so lost. And sometimes we have these wounds. These stories are unresolved, especially on like competition that just come through. And they come through to our children. And then, like you said, we, we start to to almost get tricked into not even knowing what's happening. And that's why I think that question is so important. Does this bring you joy? Because if that's a no, I love that. Right. But if it's a yes, then let's go a little bit further. Because, like I said, you have a more, you have a more advanced uh, scenario than a six-year-old wanting to play basketball. Does it bring you joy? Yes. So now I, I start to think about: Do you want help? Right. Because it's mm-hmm. easy for dad who played soccer competitively be like, "Let me show you some things." <laughs> <laughs> but again, right. if this isn't asked for, it's about me. It's about me wanting a daughter that's better at soccer. At least that's how I see it. Whereas if there's the the question, if there's the support, the dad, can you help me? Boom. Okay, now I'm getting in here. Let's have fun. Let me show you what I know. Let's play. Let's get lost in this. That's another question that I would ask that came to mind from your question. Is it like... Do you as a parent observe your child getting lost in it? Like my son this morning was getting lost in video games. And I let him go and let him go. And then it was like almost three hours. And I was like, buddy, we got to take a break. <laughs> like, <laughs> he would have got lost. He had summer. You know, he's just in this game. And to some degree, like the older previous version of me would have been like, no, 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 there's way too much screen time. But I was just like, who cares? Let him get lost this morning. Tomorrow he may get lost in playing basketball. The next day he may get lost in something else. And that's something that has been very interesting to me is to not cut things off 
uh, prematurely just to kind of see where they go and see if there's a gift underneath there. Because it's very easy to have this like mentality of like, no, 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 no. I'm going to give a structured upbringing. You're going to have a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this. And to some degree, my wife, Gabrielle, and I do that in exposing them to different things. But we're not, I'm trying to be more aware and disciplined of not like being, making everything so structured and just being like, just let them get lost for a bit. See, see what comes of that. Because if they're getting joy out of it and they're getting lost in it, they're telling me what they want to do. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I could get better at that for sure. Okay. So one more question and then we'll stop on, on this one. <clears throat> I love the question. Okay. So, and, and Violet and I could, I can think of last week we're sitting, we just practiced, we're sitting by the soccer goal and, and she's the one telling me, I want this. Like, mm -hmm. I want this. I want, okay, well I'll come out here every day with cool. you. This is like the best part of my day, you know? Um, so, so then you ask, okay, does this bring you joy? Um, do I find that you're getting lost in it? Then what would you say is the, now I'm going to hold you accountable, right? So it's like real easy. My kids say they love basketball, right? But it's like, hey, it's Thursday, it's practice, and they're swimming in the pool. And you're like, hey, get out of the pool. It's time to go to basketball practice. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, right. it's because they're lost in the pool. Yeah. So what's your thought on that as far as, Okay, I don't I want to be aware of my kid like maybe really they need a break from mm -hmm. from basketball for the night. But then maybe it's like they're just always dictating what they feel like doing in the moment versus yeah. yes, in the moment. So then what are your thoughts on that because and and, and man, all of this is really gray, right? There is no black sure. and white. This is like dads, we try things, we realize ah, my kid was should have gone or shouldn't have gone, right? With both scenarios, you could probably find that Sometimes you're right and sometimes you're not. So totally. thoughts on holding your kids accountable to something they said they wanted to do? Absolutely. I love that question. So how I think about that is first reflecting back to them what they said. So that's a big thing for me is being like, you said yesterday that you wanted to go to practice and not doing it in a way where it's like convincing them, but just saying yeah. that's what you said, right? Right. Because sometimes they just so need to good. hear that. I agree with you. They get so like caught up in like the now that they're like, oh shoot. Yeah. I guess I did say that. And you can feel their body language change when they recognize that. The second thing, which is also something I discussed a little bit with Matt Sprang is like giving them a clear understanding of the consequence of breaking their commitment. In fact, mm. what's become really cool and this just organically evolved in our household is and I'm laughing. You'll you'll see why in a second. Is this phrase of honor your commitments? Hmm. Now, I I laugh because we started saying it to the children and being like, "Hey, you said this. You know, as Jafarians, we honor our commitments as part you know a value of a value. Uh, we're grounded in that value. And what's funny, Ned, is they've been flipping it around at us sometimes. We're like, yeah. I'll be like, ah, guys, sorry, I'm a little tired. And then Sepia in her sweet little four-year-old voice will be like, dad, honor your commitments. <laughs> I'm like, well, there you have it. Like, and so it's again, so being taught, it's learning. Yeah. But, but where, where this ties into though, Ned, which is powerful is like, there are, there's a way to clearly communicate the consequences of not honoring your commitments because they don't see that. Children, in many ways, they have this pure, beautiful mind that's not as advanced, which is awesome. But the downside of that is they don't 
realize the gravity of breaking a commitment. And when you tell them that and you explain like, I get it. You don't want to go to your game tonight. That's fine. But let me just tell you how this impacts other people. So your teammates are going to be let down because you are a big part of that and you play this position. Yep. They may not love to see you next time because you quote unquote quit. That's what pe- how people sort of react to this is quitting. And you just start to explain the potential consequences. And then they have a whole, they can have a whole different perspective where they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I do want to go to the game. I didn't realize it was, it was going to be all that. So I think what's really important to reiterate, like you said, is that children and even adults, we can get very caught up in the moment and be like, I don't want that right now. But then when there's this like reminder that this is what you said, we generally honor our commitments. And if we don't, here's what can happen. Then they start to see it in a different lens and they're like, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm going to go do that. Yeah. I dig it. So I think, you know, what I'm hearing from you, one is, I mean, obviously you're just super in tune and I love it, but it's questions. You're asking your kids questions Yes. and you're helping them to discover and affirm themselves. Um, and that's truly a guide, right? And so that's yes. how you're being a guide for them. Um, oh man. Okay, cool. I'm going to just skip, skip around and ask a couple more questions. When did you embrace fatherhood? Right. You hear the words, you're going to be a dad, then baby's coming, then baby's here. At what point were you like, I, this matters big time. And you felt like I'm embracing this. When I joined Farmer Dads, that's an easy question because I was, I was a dad who I was a, a businessman with a family and then I caught wind of Front Row Dads through the podcast and was just like hooked by a lot of John's message and also the guests that he interviewed and what they were sharing. Yeah. And it just really helped me wake up and gave me a really like brutal reminder or just it really made me face like, what am I right now? And in terms of my role and my relationship of being a father and it's interesting you ask that because in those early months of committing to the community and then going on retreats, like even it took me months to actually get to a place where I was like, wow, now I choose fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Like I almost had to have the support of that community to to just be aware of what was really happening and not like tell myself a different story. And then once I was aware, I was like, cool, now I can firmly choose this because it's just, it happens fast, man. Like it happens fast. And then you're thrown mm-hmm. into the mix, especially if you take on a lot, which you and I are, seem to fall into yeah. that bucket where we can take on a lot of projects and keep ourselves active. And I don't think there, I don't think many men, including myself, take a very intentional pause before their first child comes and say like and internally say i want to be a father i think we just fall into this societal expectation and we go with it we transition with it but that choice is so important and i feel like this has been talked about on a a front row dad podcast that which made it just polarizing to be like huh at which point did I actually choose this? Because I definitely didn't choose it the day my son was born. That's for sure. Mm. Okay. How old was your son when you went to Front Row Dads? 
by that time, let's see, Everest was three. Okay. And then who introduced you to the Front Row Dads podcast or so, so who introduced it to you or why did you go out and find it? I heard about it because John was uh, interviewed on a different podcast. So I was listening to the science of success and I love that podcast. It was just brick broke down how we think, you know, uh, neuroscience, all types of cool stuff about humans. And then I heard this guy talk about his kid climbing a wall and just the the effect it had on him. And I was Uh. like, dang, I need more of what this dude's talking about. And now, now years later, it's cultivated all these awesome relationships with guys like you and even John himself. But I just remember hearing that. And he was, it just, that was just my journey. That was the first person I heard where I was like, holy cow, this dude is intentional about this and I'm not. Wow, bro. I, I love this because, uh, at some, some core level, I believe that you and I and all men who have found themselves on the adventure of fatherhood, like when we hear that, father-son climbing or father-daughter playing soccer together or whatever it may be, something inside us goes, whoa, I want more of that. And and it's mm-hmm. even, even deeper fulfillment than uh, if you get, you know, 6.25 hours of sleep and you wake up and you do 17 minutes of breathing, you're going to be more successful. Like, that's rad. I love that yeah. stuff all day long. Right. Uh, but uh, But there's a different level of fulfillment that I know that I desire deep down in my soul from being a father and how rad that you heard John just share a story about fatherhood. And then it puts you on this gnarly journey to take all this conscious awareness, et cetera, curiosity. And now it's about your kids, dude. And, and obviously your businesses and your relationship and your marriage and all that stuff is getting, you know, growing from that. Um, but that fatherhood piece, it's like, dude, when you and I are, you know, 85 years old, we're not going to be disappointed about the time we spent with our kids, you know? Definitely not. Yeah. Well said, man. Well said. Dude. So cool. All right, man. This podcast is called Rebel and Create Fatherhood Field Notes. You've been doing it. Open up your field notes, sharing your life, sharing all that you've learned and your perspectives. Uh, so good. The mantra or theme is rebel and create. The idea behind this is as men, Deep down, we're also all fighters and warriors, and we like to fight and Hmm. want to Hmm. rebel, but not for the sake of just tearing something down, burning a village, being destructive, but to go tear down the walls and then rebuild or create something. So when you hear those words, what's something that you as a man or as a father are rebelling against? And then what do you hope to create out of tearing down maybe some status quo walls in our society? Oh, another great question. And I love, I love the way you branded that just as a side note, because it is powerful. Yeah, it's really powerful. So if I have to choose something that I want to rebel against, it is this notion that fathers have to always be strong and can't show emotion and can't, can't uh, display a feminine side. Cause we have that. In fact, I've tapped into it a lot this last year. I've cried more. And I'm just going to use crying as an example because it's, it's a, 
it's how the body shows that it needs to let something out. Like if you just look at the, the physiology and I've done a lot of crying this year, a lot of it's been wrapped up in family. A lot of it's been wrapped up in childhood. A lot of it's been wrapped up in visions of what I want for my family. Right. Mm. So it's not like I'm crying because I'm all depressed and, and sitting around, you know, moping. It's because there's all this untapped emotion that's just been sitting and is finally being able to breathe, finally finding space to come out, which is a part of me. Right. And that's, so that's going back to the rebel piece is like, I'm rebelling against the, a previous version of me that was strong and rarely cried and rarely showed emotion and didn't hold space for feelings, didn't, couldn't sit in a room with other men and appreciate, encourage them to do the same thing, right? It's so easy. This is something I learned from one of my mentors, Bill McKernan. Like it's so, it's hard to hold space for people and really hold space for their emotions, especially when it involves crying or sadness. Like we want to fix it. We want to be like, oh no, it's going to be okay. Whereas I've taken some of that into my fatherhood journey. I've embraced instances where Everest or Sepia cry and I've just held them and just like said, like, I understand how you feel now. And I think it's beautiful that you're letting this out because the old me would have been like, you're okay. Why are you crying? Like you're, you're going to be fine. This isn't a big deal. That's what we do. That's what we've been programmed to do as fathers. So I'm rebelling against that in effort to create a, a more, like a confident army of fathers. It's like, yo, we have this feminine side. We can nurture. We can show up and show our children. Like there's a soft side here and these emotions need to come out and don't get me wrong. Like we can still be strong and show that warrior side. Cause a lot of, a lot of us have it, including me. I love to compete. I, I loved, I love some like testing my physical limits, but I, for years, I totally blocked and suppressed the soft emotional side. And that's coming out now. And I actually would say I make it, I'm intentional about letting my children see that. Whereas in the past, it was easy to kind of hide it and maybe do it in private. Whereas now I embrace that and it's still uncomfortable at times. There's still those moments, you know, but I think that's what comes to mind if I'm talking about rebelling and creating something. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so important as you're sharing, uh, you know, just a lot of thoughts uh, going through my mind. Um, I do think why, and this isn't against what you just said, but we use the word feminine when really, I mean, I'm a human being and I have emotions just like any other human being. So I can express these emotions and be aware of them. I don't even know that that necessarily means it's feminine. It means that I'm, I'm confident enough in myself that I can pause and go, I'm feeling really sad right now. Totally. What is my body telling me? Well, I just dropped off my best friend at the airport and I'm not going to see him for, you know, six months or whatever. And like, uh, uh, and to me, I'm like, dude, that's strong. And when you think of, oh, I'm just going to bury this, bury this, bury this, like that is weak, bro. Now I get like if if I'm having a sad day and I need to go show up to work and close this deal, like I'm not going to walk in there crying. I'm going to suck it up, and, <laughs> you know, set that aside for a minute and yeah. I'm going to go in and I'm going to slay this dragon. 
So, yeah. you know, cause I, I don't necessarily have to go out and, and fight somebody. Uh, that, that happens a lot, uh, less these days. Um, okay. So yes, being able to nurture and be uh, aware. Yeah, man. I think, you know, th- this is actually a real story. You know, I was really missing my friend and my daughter and I were driving in the car. She's 16. She was driving like I was tearing up, you know, and, and, uh, I think for her to see, oh my gosh, my dad's friendships, like, whoa, they matter, you know? Um, and it's okay to feel this way. And I think that those are great things. And, and it was just a moment, you know, we just had, we were talking because, you know, moving to Hawaii has been difficult, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it helps my kids go, oh yeah, this is okay to feel sad about these things. It doesn't dictate how I show up every day, but it's okay to feel these. So Absolutely. I love what you're rebelling against. Um, because I think it's so important be- for us fathers to create this vulnerable relationship with our children, both for them to see us express our emotions. And then also, I don't know if the word be in control of our emotions, but not let them dictate how we show up for the family. Mm-hmm. I think. Oh yeah, absolutely, dude. I think there's a, well, I find there's a balancing act of, of being able to show the true emotions, right? But then also there's a part of me that wants to be strong and wants to lead and wants to give them confidence that, Ooh, if things get tough, I can go to dad. I can ask him for help. I can watch how he handles things. So that's, that's one of the things that's, that's interesting is like, it's definitely not about just being like, okay, I'm going to go completely soft and just always let out. It's, it's this, it's just living in harmony with both the masculine and the yeah. feminine or however you want to label them, like you said, because yeah. it's a good yeah. point. It's just, it's different energies and it's just truly honoring the emotions, I think. And I think it just comes down to the conscious, the conscious leadership, right? Yeah, am right, I, right. Am I, am I aware? So like, am I aware of what's happening in me? Am I just reacting or am I taking a pause, which this is what I really see in you that, and that I respect. And, and I think that's why I asked you when I think you and I had like a one on one at a front row dad's event. And I had asked you like, bro, how are you? Because I noticed you would pause. This is something that I see a lot of front row dads do. But I, I really saw it in you is when asked a question, <clears throat> you paused and then responded. And I even seen you take a breath, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Have I seen you like put your hand on your heart almost and like, oh yeah, breath before? Yeah. Okay. So, dude, if dads, oh my gosh, if we could get this one thing, you 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 explain it. You explain <laughs> why do you do that? Why when you're asked a question, you pause, maybe touch, you know, like put your hand on your chest, take a breath, and then and then respond. Why do you do that? So, I do that when they are questions that I feel require space, like I'm doing it right now. And for me, the need to do that is that my mind is powerful. It will quickly calculate things and then usually learn how to protect me from the emotion. Uh, This is just years of programming and conditioning and again, I don't have any resentment or I don't really even have anger around that. I just have awareness now to be like, oh, I know that that's what it'll do, right? It'll tell me exactly what it heard. It'll filter it. It'll go into protect mode. Whereas, and then I'll be quick 
right? And I'll just give an answer. Whereas by pausing and to your point, using a gesture, like putting your hand on your heart, which I learned from, from other people, that this gives you that cue to tap in to the feeling because the mind doesn't feel things. You know what I'm saying? Like the heart, the soul, that's where we get the feeling from. And it's been this really easy, but powerful sort of, uh, tactic to just check in. That's what my coach calls it. Checking in. Let's check in. Like what wants to happen here? And so it's, it's, I appreciate you, you spotting that. And we've, the fact that I've done that a lot of times with you goes to the caliber of conversation and the questions that you ask, like, cause I don't do that every time someone asks a question, <laughs> but when it's a question that I'm like, Ooh, this needs space. It's not a quick, like a quick hit. It's like, great, let's check in what's really coming out. And again, it's because I learned that my mind is tricky and it can mm-hmm. often play games and, and not necessarily get to like the real substance of, of what's being asked. So, and, and- I'll ask my last question in a minute here, but I can think of a couple of scenarios, right? Like my wife says something to me that I'm like, uh, piss me off. Right. And I want to be quick. Yep. I want to be quick. Cause I know what to say to protect my ego, protect myself. Yep. Very quickly put me on the defense or make me feel like the alpha. Right. Or my kid pissing me off or my kid asking me, even asking me a question and I just want to answer it real quick. So when you pause and check in with yourself, are there any questions that you're asking yourself like real quick and not be kind of before your mind decides how to react. Are there any questions like, or yeah, are there, I won't give any examples, but absolutely one asking yourself. What an awesome question. And I know without having to pause that the question I always ask is, is this about me? Hmm. Um, especially if I get triggered, if I go below the line, if I get reacted, I'm like, is this about me now? Like, what is it? What is it here? What's here? And that's when you have to kind of pause. Also, honestly, those same use cases you've given, Ned, which I've had different trial and error with over the years, like, cause we all yeah, get yeah. triggered. It's inevitable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it, I used, there were times where I had to leave because I felt this strong emotion that I didn't know what to do with yet. And as fathers, I think it's easy to go to anger. And so years ago, I stopped yelling. I actually came home from my first front row dad retreat. I was inspired to stop yelling, which changed the dynamic in our household a lot. But that was my, that was a way, kind of a hack to not yell. Like, I'm just going to remove myself from this environment because then, you know, I'm, but that wasn't, that didn't feel like the way I wanted to show up. Cause I'm like, now I'm not addressing it. I'm just kind of running from it. Whereas now checking in and really feeling like, okay, well, what's underneath this? what wants to come out an example that I would use today is like, if the anger comes and I can feel it moving, I can feel it rising through my shoulders. Mm -hmm. I will straight up say, wow, like I'm feeling triggered. I need a little bit of space to process this because there's something here. I can't put my finger on yet. Right. I don't really know. And that's so for, for me and for my family, that's so much healthier than these quick reactions. Like I had this, this example I want to share where my son this is a year or two ago was in this Everest was in this habit of like screaming in people's faces. Right. And I was able to kind of observe it for a while, but I wasn't, 
I didn't have the same awareness I have today. And so after seeing this happen for a couple of weeks, he did it one time. It scared my daughter, Sepia. She started crying. So I got triggered. I didn't hold space for it. I didn't really check in. I went up to him and screamed in his face. And I could tell in that moment, I scared. I really scared him. I was about to curse. Mm -hmm. so I caught my words, but I scared him. Yeah. And he ran up to his room crying. And I sat there and I was just overcome by emotion. I was like, whoa, what just happened? It went from anger to sadness really quickly. Mm -hmm. And then fear came in and fear was that something wants to be known. So after sitting that for a while and processing it, I went upstairs and sat with him and we cried and I talked about it. And I explained like, that's not how I want to show up. This is why I did that. And that was an example where daddy could have taken more time. And I'm sorry. Like, that's just not, you know, so there's an apology tied to it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it just come, I'm just bringing this back full circle that like, there are these trigger points that can quickly evoke anger as an example. And if anything, the check-in is at least a little extra time to sit with it and then being, let's just say vulnerable or confessing to be like, I don't know what to do with this. But it triggered something in me, so I just need some time because we don't always have the answer. We we don't always have the right words, especially to yeah. to try to fix it. And if we rush them, then a lot of times we are trying to hero it. We're trying to like give give a response that isn't our truth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, dude. Oh, I just feel like the work that you have done, the conversation that we had. I'm hoping and I believe that. It'll spark so much awareness for people to go, whoa, there's a whole world of me showing up for my family in a way that I didn't really think about or know. Mm -hmm. um, and that this conversation is just going to spark or ignite uh, a journey for a lot of men to go check out a book and to start having these conversations and even pause today when their wife says something or their kid says something and just check in with themselves and like how different, how different would homes look if dads took three seconds to check in with themselves before they reacted. I mean, <laughs> yeah. dude, that's big. That's it would big be big. Time. Oh, Super big. So, so thank you for the work that you've done and, and for your willingness to share it with us. Here's my last question for you, Ollie. Legacy question. Imagine 30 years from now, you're standing in a cul-de-sac, peering into the homes of your children. They're mid-30s now. They may be married. They may have kids. What is it that you see being played out in their homes and you know, this is this is based on the work that I did. This is the base based on the way that I showed up um, each and every day. Uh, and you're seeing something played out in their homes. What is it that you see? Wow. I just I felt like the uh, the uh, tingles and like goosebumps when you asked that because like and that's one of those questions that <laughs> needs space. <laughs> what what do I see though? If I could at least give an answer like you know ned i think i see i think i see smiles i think i see people together not on devices but actually with each other being present i think i see them laughing or crying or doing things that evoke the more human side of us, you know, I think I see peace. That's a big word for me. So like mm. there's being happy and then there's being peace. And I don't think they're the same thing. Yeah. And 
but I can feel and see people who are at peace. And it doesn't mean you always have to be at peace, but staring into a window 30 years from now and getting a quick snapshot, it would bring me a lot of joy to see peace in those homes. Yeah. Beautiful, man. The two words I wrote down from that is together. Okay. I, I love that word. We're, we can, we can be a very isolated culture, mm, yep. right? like very just self-centered. Uh, but the idea of togetherness, being together, it means that you're aware of those around you yes. and your feet, you're feeding off of each other. And you said laughing or sadness, which, which at the end of the day, you know, I think that what our world longs for is stability mm -hmm. or peace, right? Sa same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and when you're together, that's where that comes because you're being affirmed and you're affirming others. And that's what we were made for, man. Family, you know, relationships. So, uh, I think we would all agree that based on this last hour conversation, that the work you're doing on yourself, your curiosity for life, your unattachment from, um, I, I don't know if being right or, or what the word would be, but your openness to life and experiencing all that life has to give, um, you're going to, your children will be, will, that will be the legacy you, you, so Ali, thank you so much for your time today, man. I look forward to future conversations with you about life and awareness and consciousness. And, uh, yeah, man, appreciate, uh, the man, husband, father, and friend that you are. Thank you, dude. You've been, you've been a, a huge inspiration to me, not just through what you do with Rebel and Create, but how you show up in front row dads and just, we've been able to have some awesome combos. So I just want to, I just want to lift you up, man, and give you some props that you continue to create and you continue to inspire. And I love the energy that you bring. So I know that this relationship's just getting started and I'm, I'm deeply grateful to uh, have spent some time with you, man. I love it, my friend. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I look forward to connecting again soon. Indeed. When I grow up, I want to be as present as Ali is to the day, to myself, and to the questions I ask and respond to. What a great time connecting with such an intentional dude. My friends, I want to say a huge thank you for following me on social media the past couple months, um, really around Father's Day and supporting the children's book, uh, The Adventure of Fatherhood. We're fully funded on Kickstarter. I am so grateful. Uh, this book is going to change the world. If you want to learn more about it, go to adventureoffatherhood.com. The Kickstarter's closed, but you can pre-order a copy um, now, and then the books will be in hand around Q1 2023, and uh, it's so exciting. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, What You Do Matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. If you have a question about fatherhood, something you'd like me to discuss on here, shoot me an email. If you got a great guest that you'd love to hear on here, shoot me an email, ned at rebelandcreate.com. Please follow me on Instagram, Facebook. Stay in tune with all that's going on, and I look forward to hanging out with you next time. Thank you.